Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello, and welcome to episode number 15 of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. This week is part two of Canadian Music Week, and I have a few artists for you. First up is singer, rapper, producer, songwriter, Esma. She's been around the industry for a while and plugging away. She's going to let us know some of the panels that she went to and her takeaways. Then we have Tamara Madeline. She's going to talk about her first time playing at Canadian Music Week and some other artists that she enjoyed. And then we're going to finish up with Encore. They're a young band from Winnipeg. They were really great at going to the panels, taking notes, and so there's a great report from all the different panels and what he's learned, and it's good to have some of the same panels, but it's good to get different artists' perspective. They've all talked about Linda Perry, but they all kind of came out of it with something different. I won't do a wrap-up at the end, so for additional notes and links, visit dianefoy.com slash 015. My name is Esma. I'm a singer, songwriter, rapper, producer based out of Toronto. So how was your CMW? And maybe tell us a little bit about some of the panels that you went to. I mean, I go for obviously to learn, but I've been in the industry quite a bit now. I seem to, I do know the business, even though it's ever changing, you do have to keep up. Mostly go more for like networking. uh, So more people get to know me as an artist and also to hear people's journey because that's what I like I need to hear that for myself personally to be inspired a lot of the times you see especially artists you you just see them pop out of nowhere but you don't realize that nowhere was like 10 years of them working you know in the background like the public doesn't realize that and even with it's mostly executives that are speaking i find at cmw versus artists so it's the same thing with these executives like i watched i went to tuma bassa speak and he said that when he first started he like i think made 800 cold calls to like get an internship that's what I need to hear because I've been like working and hustling and you don't see when you're in the thick of it, you don't see like the result until way later. So it's nice to be like reminded of that and to hear stories of like really hard work and uh, just to relate to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's the never give up motivation that you need sometimes when you're, You feel like you're working, working, working and not getting anywhere or everything just takes a lot longer than you hope to get there. A lot longer, for sure. That's for sure. Another story that was really inspiring to me was Ghazi Shami. And he's out of uh, San Francisco and he started a distribution company, started Empire. And they're also a label now. And um, 
again, I think he said like 10 years to get things going. And now they're working with like huge artists like Snoop Dogg and Iggy Azalea and a bunch of other artists. And um, the reason I was so inspired by him is because he, his number one thing was like, he's like, I base my business on like ethics and what's best for the artist. And not to say other businesses don't do that, but it's not just the music industry, but a lot of industries the number one thing is making money and it doesn't matter how you get there even if it's shady or it's at the expense of like ethics and I just thought that that was really great to hear um, especially in the music industry those are two that really stuck out I went and saw like Linda Perry because I'm a huge fan of her obviously her songwriting and I watched uh, Jermaine Dupree speak these stories these ones are like more obvious and out because they're such huge, I find executives don't get as much, you don't know as much about their story as like artists or like really successful songwriters, because it's just not in the public. I like to hear things that that I don't know about. But obviously, we know with Linda Perry, her journey and her success and Jermaine Dupree as well. And I liked how uh, Jermaine, uh, he was uh, interviewed by Dalton Higgins and he was, re- he was really great at, um, you know, at asking him really important questions. Like I find that as a, as a female rapper and producer, like there's not enough of us and it's, it's finally coming out now that there's only 7% of, 7% of producers are women. And most of the songwriters behind the scenes are men writing for women, writing women's stories. Like why are men writing stories for women to sing? It's just bizarre. Like obviously there can be men writing amazing songs for women, but the fact that there's only 7% behind the scenes is really crazy. Jermaine Dupree, Dalton asked him about, uh, you know, female MCs and he brought up something that's really important that, now we don't have we don't have like they did in the 90s like a bunch of different women they seem to just have like one signature one you know at a time when there's like hundreds of rappers like male rappers and there's like one woman they kind of got we already have one. Yeah, exactly. And it's bizarre to me. Like, why can't you have a bunch? Just like you have a bunch of really great male rappers. Why can't you have a bunch of really great female rappers that, that represent different women? So that was really cool to hear him say that. Did he have any advice on, on how to change that? It wasn't so much advice as he said, it's, it's going to change. Like, it has to. And it's just like the way the world works, right? Like you even see like in politics, like things you think that you're moving forward and then you take like so many steps back until you can move even further forward. And I think it's it's the same in history and politics and in music. He said it's bound to change. I mean, his advice, really talented female rappers to be, he said nowadays because it's, I think, so easy to make music. Even Linda Perry said this. It's like this, the standards have gone down in regards to um, what people are digesting. I don't know if I agree with the standards going down. I think, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I just think that it's really healthy to have, if you have a fan base and you're doing it, I think that's awesome. I don't like look down upon any other artists or any other kind of rap or any, I just think that there should be more representation of different kinds of 
um, female rappers and different kinds of artists that should be given more of a spotlight. That's what I think. I'm Tamara Madeline, and I'm a Burlington-based singer-songwriter who is currently wrapping up uh, my third independent full-length album. It's going to be called Mint Green Mercury. And I'm happy to announce that on March 28th, I released my first single from the album called Fade Away, complete with a video that's now on YouTube. And I'm looking forward to my second single release called Rear View, which is slotted out um, early June of this year. Cool. So how was your CMW? It was wonderful. It was uh, the first time that I had been invited to perform Showcase and actually the first time I attended Canadian Music Week. So I was very pleasantly surprised with the panels that were available to uh, independent artists and um, also the Showcase event. Great. So how did your Showcase go? Wonderful. At first, I thought the 12 o'clock um, time slot that I was given was a little late. Um, typically, um, I, I perform a little earlier in the evening, but it ended up being the perfect time. It, it was a full house. It was a great vibe that was going on, and uh, I took full advantage of that. Yeah, and you, you got to play the special showcase with a private party kind of thing at Kensington Sound, AM to FM Promotions and Niagara Craft Distillers. Any of the other artists stand out for you that you saw? Mike Walker and his band name is M.T. Walker. So I got play and they they didn't disappoint. They put on a wonderful full 30 minute uh, showcase that I really enjoyed. And their style of music is, is right in my wheelhouse. It's got that wonderful Americana sound. Next act up that I thought was really fantastic as well was uh, Handsome Ellie. But they were all great. Even Kelly Fraser. She's... Um, got a very unique sound. She plays this really unique drum and she's just got this really cool look to her. I was able to mingle with her a little bit afterwards. Um, I basically stayed all the way to the end. I even caught Wes Mason's performance. Really, really wonderful. And I think her name is Remy Salmi. She had fantastic energy. She just got the room hopping. Even the crowd that came to follow her and watch her changed the dynamic in the room a bit, which was a great change in flow. And she had a live performer playing a jemba drum on stage with her, which was really, really unexpected. And I really dug that. And all in all, it was just such a privilege and so wonderful to be playing with all these other artists. Hi, my name is Donald Plant. I am from the band Encore from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, we just wrapped up at Canadian Music Week this past Saturday, and uh, it was a phenomenal experience. We performed on Friday night at the Kensington Sound Studio AM to FM Promotions Performance Showcase. We did a couple tracks. Uh, our new single was one of them, and uh, it was a great time. Honestly, it was it was. Our first experience at Canadian Music Week, uh, we were able to learn a lot throughout all the panels. We were able to meet so many different people, including a lot of artists, similar to ourselves, where you know we're from Canada, and we're all just there to like meet as many people as we can. And uh, at the particular Kensington Sound Studio showcase, I am we actually knew this artist in advance, Kelly Fraser. Um, she was a performer that went on right before us. And to me, she's a phenomenal performer. She is uh, from Winnipeg as well. And I've met her one time before that day. And uh, her and I are 
we're actually on, we're pretty we're pretty close friends actually now like that we met each other a couple times and uh i just i was just blown away by her ability but she was just performing by herself and i found it very interesting that she did she did four songs and it was like by herself at first just her voice with a drum and that was for the first two and then she added some tracks for the last two and i just thought that was very unique um, just being there by yourself, not even having a second person to do anything with for the performance. I thought that was very unique and it just kind of shows uh, her talent a little bit. But all in all, it was such a phenomenal experience with that artist. I was lucky enough to see television on the Monday night as well. That was a very good time. Uh, they've been around for quite a while and uh, I really liked them live. I thought it was very really cool. You're, you're really young. Uh, how do you know them? I didn't really know them, to be honest, at all before Canadian Music Week. But I looked them up when I got invited to the party and I listened to them. I listened to like all their music and stuff. And I looked them up on YouTube and just seen their live show. And I was like, oh, this is like a, a cool and this is a nice, good classic rock show. And it was really interesting for me to be able to see them. Like since I am only 19 years old, I was really lucky to just see like these people are kind of experienced. You know, I think that was with a lot of uh, the panels I'll get to in a sec as well. Just these people are experienced in the industry. They know they've succeeded and they're, they're industry professionals. And I thought that was like a major, um, just something, a major like learning curve for me. Like just being able to like see like these people, you know, like what they're saying, it's not just guesses. It's them based off their experience succeeding in the music industry. And I thought that was really interesting. So I'll talk a little bit about the uh, conference as well. And on Thursday, I went basically from like 10 all the way until like 5 p.m. I was there just trying to learn as much as I can, experiencing just tons of different panels. Uh, the first one I went to was Balancing Money and Music. Uh, trying to support your career. And that was with um, a couple different accountants from different of their own firms, as well as a singer uh, from like her band. And uh, with that one, it was about sort of managing money and it, it was talking a lot about the risks. And, you know, as an artist, everyone goes through those times, you know, where you struggle, which is what they discussed quite a bit. You know, as an artist, you're struggling between like wanting to work and just save as much money as you can versus investing all your time and money into the music. And it's a, it's a constant struggle for any kind of rising artist, I think. And um, from personal experience, for sure, I've realized that, you know, when it comes to like financial stability, there's always, it's always like a hard thing to do. You're like, well, I could work, you know, every single day all day long, but then my music won't be as elevated and I won't be able to put as much time and effort and, you know, as much like really just time and effort, I guess, but time and effort into my own music, writing, producing, performing, anything it is. And um, they talked about like what risks to take, like, you know, knowing what is a good uh, opportunity versus what is, you know, not maybe a good opportunity. Um, so ex for example, the singer, uh, her band, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the band off the top of my head, but uh, they'd opened for Bon Jovi about a year and a half or two years ago uh, back is what they were saying. And uh, they said that they, get, they didn't get paid at all for that performance, you know, to open for Bon Jovi. But the reason they took it was because it was Bon Jovi. And I think that they really learned, I think they said they learned a lot about the whole industry. And actually the name just came to me, it was Goodnight Sunrise is uh, the band name. They just opened for Bon Jovi. And they said when they went on, like it was such a surreal experience for them being able to chat with, you know, Bon Jovi himself and just like being able to experience that big of a performance opportunity. They said they didn't get paid, but you know, sometimes they're typically getting paid they said around between between one to three thousand dollars a night and then they go from that to zero dollars but it's it's like they said it was a good risk they took because they felt as though you know even though we're not getting paid we're still benefiting beyond money you know like it's not just like it's not always just about money it's about for them 
We got to open for Bon Jovi's performing experience as a band, which developed your chemistry. It builds up your name and your brand. So you can promote it on Instagram. You know, you can sell merchandise and just really be able to uh, network and just get yourself out there beyond, you know, making money um, for performing. So that was kind of interesting to me. Like, and she talked a lot about different risks you can take. Like, oh, like, you know, do we tour in Europe? Do we go over and tour in Europe spending money on the flights, spending money on the food, spending money on the hotels or Airbnbs? Um, how much money are we making per show? Uh, how much merch are we hypothetically going to sell per show? What rates? You know, stuff like that. And she just, she, from her perspective, she, as an artist, it really connected with me because I felt as though she said it, like every single artist goes through that tough time when you're a developing artist. You know, do I invest this much money into this? Or like if I lose money, what am I going to gain out of it? You know, like kind of like putting it on a scale, weighing, you know, social media promotion, merch um, versus, you know, money. And just, it was, it was interesting from an artist perspective um, to have her then. I didn't really go into that uh, panel expecting to be um, spoken to by an artist, which was something that I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like this isn't just like a couple, you know, business people. This is actual a singer who's, you know, been around for, and she's her band has been around for like nine years. So that was really cool. The accountants there as well, did they spoke about sort of similar along those lines of taking risks and just like, you know, that was more about accounting actually when they were saying it, like more about like, you know, when do you hire a professional accountant for like your business, whether it's, you know, let's say a music business. So if your band, when do you hire an accountant versus um, just doing it yourself or like getting your friend to do it? And that was, that, that was from an artist's perspective, that was a little bit uh, eye-opening just because, you know, like similar to like when the singer was talking just about taking those risks and stuff like you could even ask you know even for a financial advisor from these accountants like they can give you advice like this maybe isn't the best look to lose you know three or four thousand dollars to have a performance opportunity for four nights we're not making much um maybe it is a good opportunity like, oh yeah you should definitely take that even though you won't make as much you'll probably lose a couple hundred or even like a thousand dollars um or even a thousand dollars a couple thousand you know it's still a good opportunity because of this could come out of it this will come out of it and that was really interesting for me just being able to like see those people talk about it and just talk about, you know, money and just like, I guess everyone struggles with it, right? Because money is, everyone has to worry about money at some point, just if you're in a rising artist at least. But yeah, that was a really good experience for me as a first panel uh, to CMW. Um, the next one I went to was the Masterclass with Linda Perry. And uh, I got to say, this was a big one for me. I'm a huge Linda Perry fan. And uh, even from her time in, you know, Four Non Blondes um, to when she just her, herself as a writer. Uh, she's a phenomenal writer and uh, she's written some seriously big tunes. Like I know a lot of people reference uh, the What's Going On song as like her biggest piece of work just because it was so uh, well acclaimed throughout uh, the Four Non Blondes. But, uh, I was really excited going into this one. So I was lucky to be able to see her. Uh, what happened was she sort of listened to some people's music and what she would do is critique them. And uh, she would say like, okay, play it for me, whether it's through speakers or actually just playing it live. And that was really cool because I thought it was kind of an eye-opening thing, you know, like this is a writer telling you what's, you know, like not just good things about yourself, but ways that you can improve as a writer. I was interested to see just personally what her feedback would be uh, 
for any artist, whether it's like, whether it's rock or pop or even just like indie, like a sort of more acoustic vibe. Like um, there was this one performer who even performed on a harp and she sang and played the harp and she gave, uh, Linda Perry gave her a hundred dollars. And that was very interesting. Um, just having her talk about like the harp and, you know, it was just interesting for, she just tossed a hundred dollars on the table and the harp player was actually very talented. Um, but yeah, Linda Perry, uh, she just she broke into like the songwriting and it's sort of a consistent thing I realized throughout all of CMW was you know it comes down to the music and I think Linda Perry that's like the biggest thing I took out of that is that it really just comes down to good well-written likable catchy songs and people just want to hear good music um, you can have the best ability to brand yourself. You can have the best networking. Um, you can, you know, you can be as attractive as possible. You can have all the money in the world. But really, it just comes down to good music as a, as a successful artist. And she said, you know, like certain people will just try to force things in songs where it's like you listen to the whole thing, the entire song, you play through the whole thing. And, you know, you like every word in the very end, you hear one thing that pushes you off a little bit. And instantly that song turns from like, you know, one of the best songs you've heard, like this is an extremely well-written song to like just a song that, you know, is a good song, but this could have been better. Something like that. And that goes for any song. Like you look at the production even um, with any song, even like, for example, Aerosmith. Um, I don't want to miss a thing. That's just a phenomenally well-written song. And you could produce that any way you wanted, but at the core of it, it's just such a good song that it's always going to be liked. Even if you produced it like a pop song or like a hard rock song or like even like jazz, you could, you could do anything you want with that song and you could just still have it sound such a phenomenal song because the way it was written is just at the core of it. Like I said, it's just truly just a good song. I think that's what she really kind of like got in my head. And I, I noticed it throughout the whole uh, weekend there was, it was just a reoccurring thing. Make good music, be true to yourself and make good music. So seeing her speak about it and give her insight, you know, on writers and producers and just songs and playing, it was for me just a phenomenal experience. I was, I was lucky to see it. And then the next one we went to was how to become a social media ninja in an hour or under an hour. Um, and this one was with Taylor Swift's old manager. This one was pretty interesting. It was pretty packed. He was, uh, at the very beginning, he actually said that he wasn't going to go through the full thing because he said he ran out of time early on or something. But yeah, his name is actually Rick Barker. And uh, he was very interesting. I, I found him kind of like funny, actually, like the way he would approach himself and like talk about different things. Um, he just showed us like, I, I think that one was cool because it really just showed us the power of social media. He showed us the power of social media and I was very kind of eye-opened. I, I, or my eyes were open, I guess I could say, um, by his only in a 40-minute period. He just he went into such detail and showed us like just how fast things can really happen, you know? He was saying that he was talking about Instagram and Twitter, primarily like Twitter and Instagram. He was talking about going live at the very beginning. On Instagram, he would show like, you know, he has X amount of followers. If he goes live, every single one of those followers get notified. So instantly you have people telling you, like Instagram's telling you that this person's going live. So if anyone has interest in that person, they're going to automatically click it and then to go live. And he just showed us like how quick that can happen. So automatically he had like, I think it was like 50 or hundred people just joined live as soon as he went, whether it was a lot of people were inside that panel, but a lot of people weren't. And then he said, you know, there's a person, uh, Charlie, the kid, he was in the panel as well. Rick was like, Oh, 
Charlie go live. So Charlie went live, and then all of Charlie's followers, they got notified that Charlie was going live with Rick Barker. So, you know, people click that, and they're like, oh, who's this? And uh, maybe Charlie's followers clicked it, and then they saw Rick Barker, they click on his account, they realize this is Teoso's old manager. Wow, like, this is, I like this guy. Like, they look into what he does, and then they follow him. Or even just for an artist's perspective, like, what he was going into was a lot of stuff, like, as an artist, what you can do is go live with your fans. He said, that's a big thing to do. So I think that was something I took out of it. And the rest of the group, um, I went there with Daniel, my bass player, and we were talking like, that's a good idea, like going live with fans. So I think that's something we took out of. We're definitely going to, you know, experiment with going live with different people. Like, and they're, if they like your music, they like um, your whole group or as an artist, I guess, if you're a solo artist too, like all of their fans will get notified. And they're like, yo, this person's like a phenomenal artist. Like I connect with them. You know, that's what they, like I was saying, like, connect with um the music right so let's say for example let's say i go live on the band account on instagram with one of our fans that has you know two or three thousand followers let's say then all of their notif all of their uh sorry followers are getting notified that they're going live with us and all of all on all of our followers are getting notified that we're going live with them and it's just like that sh and when charlie and rick went live each it was like almost 200 people on his live stream that that quick within a span of like two and a half minutes, 200 people. And I was like, wow, like that's like, it, 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 I knew like everyone knows social media is extremely powerful, but if you do certain things, right, you know, like just the, if you put like time into thinking, um, about the sort of process of social media, you, it, it really does show how quick things can happen, how, how powerful you can truly be with it. And, um, he actually didn't go into like the full deal. He gave us links and he gave us access to uh, his website, which has the full thing. Um, but he really just talked about, you know, Twitter. Like if you have so many thousands of followers or people you follow, for example, he said a lot of things can get lost, which is another interesting point I had never actually thought about before, but he said he's following like 20,000 people or something. So how many times in a day do you think people post that are out of his 20,000 people he's following and he actually showed us there's this website you can go to and you can just find it and it shows you like how often people are tweeting and if you have twenty thousand people that you're following certain people you might look for might get lost in there so he said you should always be tweeting he said because you never understand like for example if we post let's say at 9 a.m that our song just came out people will see it that are following us a lot of people will but a lot of people that follow us won't because it gets lost if they're following like hundreds of people or even thousands of people like it gets lost right so like if you have you know thousands of people you're following you're going to see thousands of tweets and if if you only have one of those tweets is you then you're you're not going to maybe be seen and then you don't get that chance for that person to listen to your music and what if they really really like that song what if they get so invested they come and they come see your show you know like who knows how connected people can get to a song if they never hear it was a big point he kind of brought up and he said, you know, you really have to push yourself and you should be tweeting the same thing like six times a day or it doesn't have to be the exact same thing, but it could be like our song came out, check it out and like put like a Spotify link. And then you could put like, um, we're super happy with the reaction we've got so far, just constantly be uploading on Instagram and Twitter and just using social media as a tool to really, uh, boost yourself in a way. It was the biggest thing I learned out of that. And, uh, yeah, it was just really cool. I'm, I'm definitely going to go onto uh, the website and check out the full, uh, presentation he has for the social media ninja thing. It was interesting for him. He said he went from sort of zero to a hundred very quick. He said, you know, he was addicted to crack cocaine, uh, like 20 or 30 years ago. And now he's, 
Taylor Swift's old manager, and he's doing a lot of stuff with social media, a lot of stuff with other artists. He works with the launch artists, um, just teaches them about social media and just really how to use it, you know. And it just shows you, you know, if you if you put time and effort into things, and you can connect with people on a um, on a personal level with your music, and you're able to, you know, like have them see your music online, uh, it's just it shows you how powerful it really is. So I thought that was really cool. The next one I'm going to talk about was maybe the Pooh Bear interview. I thought that was phenomenal. Um, just for me as a as a fan of Pooh Bear and as an artist, going into sort of the same things as Linda Perry, where she was a phenomenal songwriter, he's a phenomenal songwriter, and they're telling us the same things. To be a successful artist, there's so many things that go into it, but the number one most important thing that can ever actually come from you is good quality music. For anyone who doesn't know, Pooh Bear was, and he's a songwriter. He's written for so many people. He, he's primarily uh, known for writing for Justin Bieber. He wrote What Do You Mean and Where Are You Now? And uh, when I went there, I wasn't honestly sure what to expect. That was over in the Osgood Ballroom East, so it was pretty big. I think it was like the biggest conference hall there. And uh, I had never been there throughout the whole day until that point. And uh, Nile Rogers was there as well. Nile Rogers is a phenomenal writer. I, I was lucky enough to meet Nile Rogers actually um, after the Pooh Bear interview and just chat with him for a couple uh, seconds as he was on his way out. But I just said, like, he's, he's worked with Nile Rogers, worked with Madonna, he's worked with Chick, and he's just a phenomenally well renowned uh, writer. But going back to the Pooh Bear interview, I was very impressed with how down to earth he was. I feel like a lot of times people can get kind of not full of themselves, but kind of full of themselves. And sometimes people can get very like almost arrogant or something if they feel like they've done too, too much. But with Pooh Bear, I felt as though he was such a down to earth, kind hearted person. And I, I genuinely mean that. Like I, I, from the minute he walked in, he started greeting everyone. Um, and the first thing he always says, which is kind of funny, is happy birthday. He says that like at the first of any conversation. He's been saying it supposedly for like the last 10 years. He'll say happy birthday. Because someone in that room would have a birthday? I'm not sure. I think what happened was he said happy birthday and someone in that room, yeah, someone in that room, I guess, might have a birthday. And he says happy birthday. And he said it stuck with him. So now it would be like weird if he didn't say it. And people would be like, oh, like, why is he not saying it? Like, um, but yeah, so I, I just thought that was kind of funny. As in, It kind of brought him down to like, a personal level, I think is what he said too. Like he said, if he's saying that he's seeming like, this is like my true self. I'm kind of goofy, you know, I'm not a super, super serious person, but I'm trying goofy. So I'll say happy birthday. And now it's just kind of stuck with him. And, you know, like he said, I think someone in that room actually did have a birthday. So that's kind of funny. He was just such a down to earth guy. He said, you know, writing for artists for him to start off at a young age, he was very poor. Um, and he said his, his mom and him had to move and live on the street for almost a year. And I, he said that what he did was he used to listen to Stevie Wonder. And uh, right away, actually, that sparked a connection because I'm a huge, huge fan of Stevie Wonder. I listened to the, for me in particular, actually, um, I've learned a lot from Stevie Wonder's production. Um, I love his writing as well, but his, his production, his hi-hat beats are so interesting to me. And I use, I use like influence from him because... In all of my music now, I'm using different types of hi-hat beats. So if you listen, for example, like our new song we just released, Cross the Line, the hi-hat beat in the pre-chorus is so different. It's not like a basic, you know, ch -ch -ch. It's, uh, it's its own thing. And it's just really, it's a melodic hi-hat beat. And, you know, Michael Jackson had a similar style of doing like something like that. But Stevie Wonder, to me, was the first time I ever heard it. I was like, oh, that's very unique. So he, he started talking about how he grew up listening to Stevie Wonder and how he wasn't supposed to, so he was hiding under the blanket, uh, listening to Stevie Wonder music at nighttime and stuff. And um, it was just uh, interesting. He said like that really got him into like the writing, the writing part. He said he just listened to the same Stevie Wonder song over and over again. I think it was 
I think it was I just called to say I love you. And that's like a phenomenal Stevie Wonder song if anyone doesn't know it. Um, but yeah, he just said like when he grew up writing, he just started writing and writing and he was never the best singer, but a lot of people there actually started talking about how good of a singer he really was. Um, but he said when he was writing for people at first, it was just because he wanted to express himself and he didn't feel like it was ever going to go anywhere, but he would just write and write and write, trying to write a song, like a song a day kind of thing. And uh, eventually someone started recognizing that he had all these songs and he started pitching to other people and saying, you know, hey, like Pooh Bear, I have a band or I have an artist that could really use this song. I think they would really fit it. And so he started developing those kind of connections at a young age. I think it was like, I think he was 15, he said, and he had like a number one hit song that he wrote that was on the radio being played like every day and his teacher suppose he told him i remember this quote he said he was like my teacher told me you know you're never going to make it big as an artist and he said what do you mean like i have i have a hit song on the radio right now and he's 15 years old and as an artist like that's a 15 year old to have a hit song on the radio being played every single day that's just like i can't even imagine that. i'm 19 and like i can't even imagine being 15 and having that kind of accomplishment but he was very humble about it. It wasn't that he was like very confident or throwing any, any of his success around. It was just, he was so humble. He said like, you know, I saw a lot of love. And uh, later on, they talked about Justin Bieber quite a bit um, and how that kind of developed. And he said he first met Justin a couple of years back and then he started writing with him a little bit. And eventually like he does some writing with artists and he said he does some writing for artists. And he said Justin Bieber is the only artist he's really developed such an emotional connection with. Like he went in to say how, the reason he works with Justin Bieber so much is because he understands that Justin Bieber as a person can emotionally relate to the words that Pooh Bear is writing. And Pooh Bear as a writer can emotionally relate to Justin Bieber and how he's, how his emotions are feeling because they both start at such a young age. So I think they have some emotional connection that he says he's never felt with such with any other writer, sorry, or any other artist. And uh, Niall Rogers, um, when he was talking about that as well, he said, Pooh Bear to Justin Bieber is sort of like Niall Rogers and Madonna. Um, he wrote, Niall Rogers from Madonna wrote like, uh, like a Virgin, which is one of her biggest pieces. And, uh, they did so much writing together and Pooh Bear to Justin Bieber, you know, writing even that new Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber song, which came out that same day, actually, because it was a Thursday and the Friday morning at midnight was, uh, Justin Bieber and Ed Sheeran's I don't care the new song. And, uh, he just seemed very down to earth and like just very humble. And I think that's, I think that's very, for me, just interesting and very, uh, I don't know. Like it's, it's impressive. I guess I could say like the way he holds himself, he seems very nice and very you know outgoing. And he, like I met him very, very, very brief. I just shook his hand and said like, thank you for coming out and speaking. And he said like, he said, thank you brother. And he was just very nice. And he was very, uh, just a kind person. And I think that goes a long way in the industry as well, you know, but he's written like number one hits, you know, you can go, you go to radio right now, you'll hear that Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber song. Similar to what I was saying before the Linda Perry thing, like the songs Pooh Bear is writing are just good songs. They're not, he's not writing songs that are being pushed with so much money that they have to be successful. It's just that he's writing good songs that people want to hear. You know, he's writing songs that can connect with people on an emotional, even like a personal standpoint. Like for example, what do you mean? He was saying, you know, a lot of people can relate to that in different ways. It's not like you're writing a song. It's just like a, like a, a little jingle, you know, you're writing a song that's a very emotional and very personal song. Um, and it's about, you know, he said adults can relate to it in this way and children can relate to it in this way. And he said, you know, he'd go see Justin Bieber's concerts where he'd be performing on the Purvis tour. And he said, you know, for his first couple tours, it would just be Justin Bieber performing with like, you know, younger kids and younger crowd with their dads or moms or parents or someone supervising, but they're not like knowing any of the music. They don't sing along. But he said when he saw the Purpose Tour with What Do You Mean and songs like that and Sorry, he said, you know, he started to see like more 
parents coming. It, was, it wasn't just younger people. It was all ages crowd, all singing. It wasn't, it wasn't supervisation anymore. It was just actually being invested and in, being involved in the concert because you can relate to that song different ways. And I think the power of music really being able to, you know, connect with people of all ages. And I, there's so many artists across um, and so many writers too, like people like Ryan Tedder is another phenomenal example of a, a great writer, you know, just be able to write music that can relate to people. And I think it's just like, it doesn't matter if you're writing for a certain crowd or if you're writing for an all ages crowd or anything, write music that's personal to you. And if you write music that people can relate to, it's, it's a successful song. Even if only a hundred people hear it and a hundred people can hear it and like it and connect with it, that's a success because it's ultimately connecting with them, right? And I think that that's what Pooh was kind of trying to get at. Even Linda Perry, you know, like the more connectable uh, or like ability they have to connect with that song, connect with you on a personal and emotional standpoint, the more successful your song is going to be. Is a big thing I learned out of that. That's it. It's, it's connections. No matter how you're doing it, that's how you get ahead. Whether it's you make a connection through your music you make a connection through social media or you make a connection when you meet people one-on-one -on -one, or when you're on stage, it's, it's all connection. And the more you can do that, the more you draw people into you and what you're doing. I'm just going to sort of reiterate, I guess, like what I learned as a couple of big, like major points is just, you know, using, using social media, like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, knowing about how quick all of it happens with different, like, you know, algorithms and like, just like all like, the connections you can really develop on there just using that to your advantage is going to help you so much and i think it all kind of ties together going into what linda perry and Pooh Bear were saying you know just making good music the songs have to be like good songs at the core of it you can produce it however you want you can have anyone sing it or play it or whatever but it has to be good well-written something to connect with people if you have that ability to connect with people and then going to like the social media thing networking yourself in proper ways using those same connections i think it's just that's how that's what they were trying to get at and that's that's saying you know how to make it in the music industry and i think uh I, that was the biggest thing i took out of it uh, as an artist and even just as a songwriter as well where can people find you online i'm from the band encore we just released our single cross the line on april 29th and uh you can find us on all instagram socials uh you know snapchat twitter facebook everything it's at encore underscore bnd sort of like band without the a <laughs> um but yeah you can find us on there uh if you want to check out any music go for it but yeah thank you so much for having me on this uh podcast it was an awesome experience being able to talk about what i learned at cmw this year thanks for listening to sing dance act thrive be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers. 